0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Thank you so much for being with us, speaking to us, uh, ministering to us, and we are just so grateful and honored that you are are with us. God, we just think that this is not about me. Uh, This is... uh, not about anybody in this room, but you, and you alone. And we are just so grateful for it in Jesus' name. We're going to dive into Luke 2 and Matthew 2, but we'll start off in Luke chapter 2 today. Uh, Luke chapter 2, it's right after Luke chapter 1. And you will if you hit 3 and beyond, you've gone too far, hang a left. And it says this in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men." So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, "Let us now go to Bethlehem." And see that this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known all the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And to those who heard it, marveled at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. We know that God's ways are higher than our ways. We know that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Do you ever wonder what in the world he's doing? I had big news. Like life changing news. And I was able to use all my contacts, resources, and power. This just, this isn't the way that I would do it. You know, there was a big movie coming out. The advertisers get together and then they will buy media space on other movies to let everyone know what's going on. They'll usually hit Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. They'll hit YouTube. They'll, they'll, Inundate the market with this upcoming movie that's about to hit. The actors and the actresses will travel around, and everybody will use their contacts to get on big shows. They'll be on news stations. They'll be on Good Morning America. They'll be on. They'll host Saturday Night Live. They're they're doing everything they can from from uh, Jimmy Fallon to to the the Tonight Show to everybody that they can possibly get on from radio broadcasts to saturate the market with this news that their movie, in which they will probably make millions on, is coming out. They're pushing this idea of something new, but it's interesting to me that when God announces the, <laughs> to the world the birth of the Savior, he takes the absolute opposite approach. He didn't send Jesus to 30 Rock and have him host SNL. He put him in a cave in Bethlehem. He didn't have a PR firm ready to announce his release. There was no prime time birth announcement, but in the middle of the night, when everyone is fast asleep, God sneaks in. I find it poetic on how he does his stuff. Because Jesus is born in darkness into a cave, and Jesus dies and is buried in darkness into a cave. Both his entrance and his exit are both the same. Yet today, in this season of life, he sends shepherds the good news. No. And today, we've, we go through different nativity scenes and Christmas pageants, and we get to tour different places and, and see all the, the, the actors and actresses, and most of us have experienced that where somebody puts on a pillowcase and a stick and is a shepherd at a school play, but sometimes you go to these elaborate ones where you're doing a big nativity scene. They've got sheeps, and they've got these guys with like legit old school clothes on, and and they got speaking roles, and they're shepherd. Like it's a really cool production to see what churches do these days. Um, but one thing we have to realize is that there was a big difference between being a shepherd in the first century and a shepherd in David's day. See, we see shepherds in David's day as it's an honorable profession, and they're, they're out there watching their dad's sheep. For thousands and thousands of years, we saw humanity and their wealth and their power be determined around how much livestock they had. And it was an honorable profession to know that your son was going to go out and watch your sheep. The problem was, is when the Greeks and the Romans began to overtake the world, they changed what power looked like. Power and authority was no longer how many cattle you had, but how much commodities you had. The, the trading system dramatically changed the landscape of the world. When they were able to go and pick up things from other parts of the world and bring them back into trade and to sell, you all of a sudden stopped having a culture where your wealth was determined about the head of cattle and sheep you had, and now it was determined based on what ships you were bringing to port and how much you could sell. In other words, for one of the first times in human history for the, beyond the the. the uber-wealthy, you have the opportunity to make money and to have power and have nothing to your name. That's where we are today. Your dollar is worthless if somebody decides it's worthless. It's crazy because if today the the entire economy collapses and your dollar, uh, like it did in the 90s for the Russian ruble, is, is worthless, did you know what? People who still have cows still have something. If you got chickens, you can still eat. But when my dollar is devalued, it's worthless. And this is what's taking place in this world. They no longer had shepherds as an honorable profession any longer at this season in life. Shepherds were not the political elite. They were not the powerful. They were dirty. Have you ever seen first century Rome? You see the Greeks, how they dressed, it was pristine and and they were always fancy and everything looked good and everything was great. This wasn't the Vikings where muscles and power meant something and they didn't care if you were dirty. No, they wanted prestige. Shepherds weren't prestigious. In fact, they were required to keep the sheep away from the city gates for more than one reason. One was because they smelled and no one wanted to look at it. The only reason that they had anything was because sheep in that season and in that moment were still a viable commodity because the sheep that they watched that night were the same sheep they would use for Passover lamps. They had to be blemish free, they had to be spotless, they had to be perfect. Then you had these shepherds that would stay up in rotations. Some would be sleeping while the other one is standing up, and they're watching the sheep. They're protecting the sheep so that none of them wander away, or something doesn't come up and take them, or some sketchy guy comes and steals one of the sheep. Like, they're keeping watch over the flock. In other words, they are actively involved in protecting what they're supposed to be protecting. And I love it because they weren't expecting a visitation from God, but he came anyways. Many of us are in that same boat. You didn't expect a visitation from God, but He came anyways. He doesn't show up to the rich and the elite, to the powerful. He came to somebody who wasn't expecting it. They were just doing what they thought they should be doing. And God said, time out. I'm going to interrupt your day and explain to you the good news. Maybe you found yourself in a very low spot, a humble spot. You were discarded and disowned. You were shoved away from the people that you were supposed to be with and the people you were connected with, and it was in that low moment that God showed up. When everybody else was too busy, God spoke to you. That's how he met met me. It wasn't when the choir and orchestra sang the perfect note, and God showed up. No, my story was in a very dark and a bad situation when I had this epiphany, (laughs) I'm going to go to hell. If I die today, this is over. It wasn't in a church service. It wasn't surrounded by an amazing message or a, or a life-giving moment under Billy Graham. No. It was a sketchy face at the wrong place at the wrong time doing the horrible things. And then I came to and go, this is not good. You ever had that moment where you were like, Last night, thought was a good idea, and I woke up this morning and went, what was I thinking? That was my moment. God came to me in a very crowded room, just a bad situation, and I went, I'm getting saved today. It's exactly what it was. Today, I'm going to get saved. I looked at my friend and said, hey, dude, we're getting saved. He goes, yeah, yeah, we're all in. And I didn't care in that moment. All I knew... <laughs> is that I needed Jesus, and sure, in that moment, I could have dropped to my knees and asked him, but I thought, I need to go to church, and I just prayed, God, keep me alive for the two-mile drive on the way to church, and I didn't care if they were going to give an altar call for baptisms. I didn't care if they were going to give a salvation call. I didn't care if they were going to give an altar call for for gout and healing. I was getting up front, Yeah, I don't have gout, but I need a Savior. And and that's exactly what was going to happen. And the preacher decided to give his altar call, and I said, hey, I'm in. My friend said, I'm out. And I went anyways, and that one moment changed my life forever. And it had nothing to do with the Sunday service, but the fact that a God would come into a very dark location in my life and interrupt me. The shepherds were not the best They weren't the popular. And I love this story because God came in to their moment and spoke to them. And they could have looked at each other and went, that was weird. And stayed right there. But that's not what took place in their life. God came in to the shepherds' lives. And in that moment, He spoke to them. And He radically changed their lives. In that moment... Everything changed for what they were supposed to do. And I love this. And here's the big thing you got to catch. The shepherds were not scholars. They weren't Pharisees. They weren't Sadducees. They weren't scribes. They had zero option of ever holding a a position of power or a throne. They could never marry into something elite. This is where they were. This is it. And God came to them. He came to the lowliest of low to announce the good news. And He comes to you in your worst moment, in your darkest moment, in your most depressing moment, and goes, joy has just come in. Will you receive it? I do find it interesting because if it wasn't for the shepherds and it wasn't for the wise men, we would just have Mary and Joseph telling everybody, this is God. And they'd be like, sure it is. But because there were shepherds, because there were wise men that corroborated their story, it gave them the ability to keep walking around. Can I say it this way? Community confirms your calling. And the enemy wants to keep you separate from a community like this. But it's also in a community like this, into a church service like this, where we look at somebody and we can declare freedom. We can look at somebody and say, you are better than the situation you are in. We can look at somebody and say, I understand the dirt that's around your life, but I see the gold beneath the service because it's in community that we bring out your calling. And the enemy wants to keep you isolated. The devil wants to keep you alone. He wants to look at you and say, they're going to hurt you again, they're going to hurt you again, they're going to hurt you again. Don't you remember when, 15 years ago, that one person did something against you? And I'm not saying it wasn't traumatic, and I'm not saying it was okay. But one thing that I do know is that the enemy is all about control. And if he can control you with offense or he can control you with isolation, he's happy either way. But God wants people to be able to walk in and be confirmed in who they are. The shepherds show up, and they look at Mary and go, here's what happened. Mary didn't see the angels. Joseph didn't see the host of angels. All of a sudden, stinky shepherds come busting up into a dark cave and going, where's the Messiah? Mm -hmm. Where is he? How did you know? (laughs) Fun fact. We saw an angel. It was cool. Then, the entire sky lit up. And we're like, well, pfft, we got to do something about that. There's three things that we need to be like the shepherds. The first thing is this. They believed. These men saw angels. They heard the witness. They believed what was going on. Scribes were too jaded. The Pharisees were too political. The royals are too sophisticated. The Romans are too dismissive. But these outsiders, the nobodies, the expendables, these are the ones that had just enough of a life to realize what was happening wasn't working out and they needed something else it's the christmas season and believing is everywhere sorry to burst your bubble bill but you can believe in santa all you want the beautiful thing about jesus is he's not one day a year it's 365 days, and being jaded and cynical may make you feel like you won't be taken advantage of, but the irony of irony is, is you will be taken advantage of when you're isolated. They believed. They heard the good news, and they believed. How about this? They could. The second thing they could do that we should is they still had the ability to be in awe. To be in awe. it's the first century. The amount of false messiahs that had come and gone that had promised great things was unbelievable. The idea that somebody would walk in and say they are the messiah was a dime a dozen in this time in history. The promise of Israel's restoration seemed to be a million miles away. The Roman flag waved high in Jerusalem. The Romans controlled who could go in and go out of the temple. And yet, when everything seemed lost, there was still these group of men that still had the ability to be in awe of the presence of the supernatural. Hmm. I understand that we live in a world where <laughs> science is a god. And if I can't touch it and I can't see it, it's not real. And I understand that I was raised in slap-out Alabama. And I understand that I don't have an Ivy League education. And I understand that I may not be the smartest or the brightest crayon in the bunch. But how foolish am I to think that I know everything? And yet we are afraid to be in awe of his presence. It's sad that I have to stand up on a Sunday morning and clarify that we're not here for emotionalism. It's sad that I have to stand up here and explain and calm everything down real quick so you can make a viable judgment. What happened to a group of people that used to be in awe of his presence? That just the mention of his name would recant the breakthroughs that used to take place in our lives a connection with God, and I guess that's the big thing. Where is that where it's going to take for our society is to have physical, visual encounters with an angel for us to believe? And I love what Jesus says to this. Blessed are those that believe and didn't see me. You can sense his presence. You can sense his goodness. You can sense his glory. And this royal announcement was in a cold night in Bethlehem which meant these men had to leave where they were and go find what made them in all. They would have campfires. They would have these moments to keep themselves at war. And they, uh, the angel didn't give them a GPS location. He didn't drop a pen on their iPhone. There was no Life 360. He said, born to you to this day in the town of Bethlehem. And you've got to remember, it was so packed, there was no room in an inn. I wonder how long they searched. I wonder when they found him, as if that was the only stable in all of Bethlehem. Think about that. They'd come in. Nope, sheep, goats. Next, they'd go in. "Ah, I see a couple of donkeys. Nope, we're good. Let's keep going. They were looking for something specific. And I love this. They were seeking out what was promised to them. And I believe with all my heart that the next big move of God that's going to continue is going to be people who have received a promise from God and are going to seek it out until they find it. You have to seek and keep seeking. You ask, you knock, you do all of the things. Can I tell you, God is not looking for people who are in spiritual high chairs waiting for the airplane? Open up your mouth, Whoop, there you go. He's looking for seekers. He's looking for people who are in awe of his word and will forfeit everything. Notice, here's the crazy part. Where are the sheep? They had one job. And they're like, I'm out. And they ran with purpose, is the third thing they did. They let go of everything, forsook it all to go find what they were promised. You know, letting go of that herd, and maybe they left Billy on the hill, I don't know. It doesn't say that they left people behind. It says they went and found him. Abandoning all of the sheep, giving up the Passover sheep, was a punishable offense. But their commitment to the people were no longer greater than the commitment to the cross. They were willing to seek their Savior at all costs and abandon it all. And I love it. They run straight to him. They find him. And then they go back to the sheep. No. They run through the town and wake everybody up. Screaming. They found him. They found him. They found him. People marveled. Then they ran back and took people to there. How about this? What would our world look like if you were in your darkest moment and you had an encounter with God and you met the Savior and you ran out and you told all your friends and neighbors about it and then you took them to the Savior? This is the very first account of a mass evangelistic move I've ever seen. That's what they did. They heard the good news, they encountered a Savior, they ran out, evangelized the town, and told the town, not only is Jesus here, not only is your Savior here, I can introduce you to him. And they ran out. Are you in awe? Do you believe? And do you run at the sound of his voice to him? The second part of the story is the wise men. You can find this in Matthew chapter 2. and We've heard this story that the wise men saw a star and they went to Jerusalem and they asked the king, they asked Herod, where is this king? Herod says, I have no idea what you're talking about. And They follow the star and they meet Jesus and they bring him gold frankincense and myrrh. I'm not going to be that guy out of seminary that debunks a bunch of stuff for you today, but we'll we'll, we'll stay in the zone for just a moment. The men from the east were not from modern-day China. They're not far out in Taiwan. They're not that far out, actually. More likely, they are from modern-day Iran. They're currently stationed in Babylon, more likely. Remember the story of Daniel and the lion's den? King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. King Nebuchadnezzar does what? He gets all of his... Magi together. It's the same word. It's the same group. These people are the same word to be used as Daniel's day, and they couldn't interpret the king's dream, but one could. His name was Daniel. Daniel becomes a second in command. They hated Daniel for it, so they develop a scheme that when Daniel prays, not to God, not to the king, but to God, They're going to throw him in the lion's den. So what happens? Daniel prays. The king is just distraught. but He has to keep his word. And he tosses Daniel in the lion's den. The Bible says that he closed the mouths of the lion and Daniel slept with the ginormous house cats. The next day, earnestly, the king wakes up. If he had any sleep at all. Remove the stone, remove the stone. Daniel, Daniel, did your God save you? Daniel's like 15 more minutes. He gets him out. What does the king do in that moment? Does anybody remember? He threw every one of them in. So here's the kicker. He has to start over with wise men. Who do you think would lead said new wise men? So since the moment of Daniel and the lion's den to this moment, Daniel has been preparing them for such a time as this because Daniel would have walked all of them through his God they would have explained to them that one day through the lineage of David there will be someone there will be a man that will be birthed and this is how you'll know Daniel prophesies all of these things and for all of this time they laid and awake and they watched and waited for this moment here's the kicker that culture was so Astrological driven, that they would determine their days, they would determine their weeks, they would determine a good day and a bad day based on the stars in the sky. It's our modern day horoscope. The Bible's very clear that's not a good thing, it's not a godly thing. Isn't it interesting that God could use what they were looking for to communicate his gospel? Here's the beautiful part of these two stories where they merge. God met them where they were and called them out to greatness. And it doesn't matter if you've been doing all the wrong things. It doesn't matter if you are a nobody. And it doesn't matter if you've got all the wealth in the world to create a caravan that would disrupt an entire city as they did. It wasn't three guys on camels. They would bring mass amounts of people where they would go. Enough that the King Herod goes, What's happening? And it gets to a place in this story that I find it so beautiful where God takes the lowliest of low, the shepherds, to declare his goodness. And he takes the very confused and lost rich people to declare his goodness. And he meets everybody in the middle and goes, You have to be there somewhere. Either you're completely broke, (laughs) or the other extreme is you've got gold to give away. Most of us find ourselves in the middle. You're not completely broke, but you're not raining gold. And if you can find yourself between those two stories, you have equal responsibility, and that is this, to hear his good news, to respond to his good news, and to tell others about the good news. They proclaimed to Herod that the Messiah was born. They proclaimed to everyone that they saw, that asked questions, we're here to see the Messiah. And don't you realize that? This, I think it's really cool. We're talking two totally different classes of people. The shepherds would tell the poor, the wise men would tell the powerful, and everything gets disseminated in between. So no matter where you are in this picture, God's speaking to you today. He's calling you for greatness. This Christmas story is not about some coolness of, of shepherds or, or the, the boldness of the wise men. This is about you. Where are you in this picture? Have you been connected with Christ? Do you seek Him out? And do you follow Him with all your heart, soul, and strength? These shepherds, as I get ready to close, I thought it was interesting that they would guard the Passover lamb, the one that would be ready to be sacrificed at the temple. This lamb covered the sin for another year. Yet, they're going to meet the one that will forgive all sin. I was telling Pastor Allen about this today, or walking through it, and it kind of just hits me like a ton of bricks. He takes the shepherds, and introduces them to the one that's going to put them out of a job. He, he takes them and goes, yeah, I know you guys are, been preparing sheep, but this is what you've been preparing for your entire life, this singular sheep, the one that will take away the sins of the world, the one that will grow up, the one that will live pure, the one that will have no spot, the one that will have zero blemishes, the one at the young age of 33 years old, will give his life willingly to be the sacrificial lamb for every single man, boy, woman, child, you name it, it's here for this moment. It doesn't matter if you're the poorest or the poor like the shepherds. It doesn't matter if you've got gold to give away like the wise men. He's here for it all. You may not have a clue what's going on, but something's burning inside, or you may know it all, and you've read and you've studied and you've done it all, but God is pulling on you to encounter his presence today. He started off with service. If you're with us and on online, it's different, but, or on our podcast. But he started off service declaring the joy of the Lord is here and to let go of the heaviness, the depression, put it all aside and put on the, the, the garment of praise. In the darkest moment of society, Jesus was born. And in the darkest moment of your life today, he wants to encounter you.